0: hey guys what's up it is week 273 and uh you know i just i wanted to get some things off my chest just talk a little bit before we start the show remember there's always timestamps so if you want to jump to the reviews peel please feel free to go ahead and do that but you know i was just sitting there and thinking i've been doing this a long time you know um and you know, you never do it for, like, the views or the recognition 100%. You do it because you enjoy the movies, you enjoy things. And, and I, I will admit, sometimes you, you truly do get burnt out on doing it. You get burnout out on doing a lot of stuff like this just consistently every week. But before that, you know, I've had probably a YouTube channel, I feel like, 12 to 15 years doing this stuff. And, like, if you kind of start breaking it down, and, and I'm looking there... um and start to break it down a little bit, you know. I, I'm barrel I'm, I get nine thousand subscribers, so it's like let's say third fourteen years. That's less than a thousand subscribers a year. Like so, when you whenever you do something, like you want to, you know, strive for growth. You, you want to, you know, do better and expand and stuff like that. But if you feel like you're kind of stuck in the same place all the time, like I definitely need to make some changes to it. And I've been thinking, it's just like, I, and I, I see so many people's growth. It just blows up, right? And I'm wondering, you know, uh, is it the algorithm? Is it just I'm very not, not very good at this? You know, I'm not saying enough interesting things or I'm just saying the same shit everybody else is saying. Or is it just luck or it's such a niche audience that it's just not really going going to go very far? Um, Or do I need to kind of expand out? Like I, I've noticed that a lot of people that use TikTok and stuff like that which I'm old, you know, I barely know how to use TikTok if, if at all. They kind of just have short videos and that leads them back to like YouTube. You know, I see like some of these people that do pranks and stuff, they blow up but that's a, it's a bigger audience, right? Um, so it's like, it's wonder. do I like upload one minute reviews or one minute snippets of a review and edit it different or something to be silly and put it on TikTok and leave links? Would that work? Are there even reviews? You see what I'm saying like this? And, and lately, you know, I was like going through like a midlife crisis. I had a lot of injuries, you know, shoulder kind of something with my shoulder. I can't lift like I used to and then so I started running more and I rolled my ankle really bad. So it's, it's like just all this stuff piling on. I feel better now, of course. I mean the shoulder's still screwed, but that's just what it is. Um but you know, so it just starts to add up and you're sitting there you're thinking, like, I, I put a lot of time in this. Should I even keep doing this? Or should I just switch it up, you know? And I do enjoy doing it, but it's very time consuming and you definitely feel like you're stuck in the same place. And you don't, nobody ever starts to do it just for the views or all that kind of stuff, or, you know, to get review copy, whatever, you know, there's just so much stuff that, you know, you could be doing otherwise. And you're just wondering when you're stuck in the same spot, do you make a change or you just, I, I'm not saying I'd hang it up. That's not something I would do. I would probably just cut back. If anything, you know, I'm not one of these people to walk away from stuff like that. But, I mean, I have had a lot of videos edit, shot right now. Like, I have a bunch of the 1980s and horror shot with other people that I need to edit. And, of course, you know, The Secret Top 10, I want to go back to. I have one recorded um, for sexy, but I wanted to start with a certain one, and I've, I've been holding off on that. So I have no clue when that's going to come back. And, honestly, if, if it really will come back, you know, um, I know it sounds shitty, and I always get good feedback from the people that, that watch. They, they truly do. So So that's always a positive. I just wanted to say, you know, it just uh, doing this can be kind of discouraging at times, honestly. Like, should I like I know I should probably try to maybe improve, do video essays. But it seems sometimes when you 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 reach out of your comfort zone, not even your comfort zone or you reach out of what people think you should do or their their comfort zone to watch. You know, the videos that I do different things on, they always do the least. And that's just, you know, probably people clicking on one new release wanting to see it and then uh, moving past just to see the And that's fine. So it is what it is. I just wanted to kind of get that off my chest to hear your guys' opinion and all that kind of stuff and a way to truly actually grow the channel or, you know, get some more eyes on there. Or, or is it just a kind of a, a plateau? Because I know there's other horror reviewers out there and they have thousands upon thousands. It's just insane to me. And, you know, sometimes, you know, subscribers and stuff, it doesn't equal, you know, necessarily, you know, quality and content. Sometimes people are really good and they have way less subscribers than me and they're much better than me. And other times it's the other way around. They're not... They're not doing much of anything, and somehow they're just they blew up because maybe they look a certain way, or they have an algorithm, or they're just lucky, or whatever. You know, it's just I hit this point like, do I do I start even talking about personal things on here? I know it's just like some like that's the kind of thing I always got straight to the business. That was my point. That was I very private when it comes to that. When in terms of social media, it just doesn't belong out there, right? So, like, would you guys want me to dive into some other things? Maybe like talk about uh, I was thinking about just for fun because. My acting slowed down a lot, and you know, it's just a lot of the people that I worked with or enjoyed working with really aren't making them anymore, and you know, uh, it's just you don't want to like, I I, well, I do it because I enjoyed it. So when you stop enjoying it as much, or just a lot of obstacles and the uh, effort you put into something, and you're just not. Um, Enjoying it as much as you used to, you kind of just say, you know, I'm just gonna hold back on it. Do you guys want me to like go down my all the acting credits I have and talk about the experiences or something like that? Take a walk down memory lane. There's other things I can do, you know. And I see a lot of people probably. One thing I noticed a lot. This is just me kind of talking in general. Is a lot of times you'll see on social media somebody will be like, oh wow, they just put this you know movie up. I never heard of it on Shutter Pumpkinhead. And every, most horror fans, you know, are old people like myself. I'm like Pumpkinhead, new horror, you know. But I guess it's just the idea that you know if they haven't had access to it no video stores or anything like that I guess that would be kind of a new one. People don't seek out a lot of old movies I guess anymore but unless with the with the um you know you know streaming stuff they just wait till it comes to them. So like what if I went down shutterless? I know people probably do that and just shout out shout out recommendations and stuff on older films. Whatever. Anyways suggestions um do I even bother starting a TikTok? Is it worth it? Will it translate at all minute reviews on stuff? Just like cut fast-paced editing would it even translate you know it is what it is so um anyways let's get into the reviews i'm sorry for that long-winded opening but we have a couple real doozies for you first up is um, The On Earth, from the On Earth Classics line, one I've been waiting for on Blu-ray for a very long time. This is Dr. Lam, uh, directed by Danny Lee, of course, famous actor, and Billy Tang. Um, yeah, that's kind of like Cat 3 royalty. Now, a Category 3 movie is, you know, the rating system in Hong Kong. Um, they were very prevalent in, you know, basically 1990, you know, mid-80s to like the mid-90s. There's lots of crazy movies there. Of course, one of the most Infamous is Untold Story and you know by Herman Yao, who also had gone to do Ebola Syndrome, both starring Anthony Wong. So, this one does have some familiar faces in there and it sure shares so much DNA with so many other things. And most particular, most uh, certainly the most DNA it does share is with the Untold Story. Now, I'm gonna be honest here, Dr. Lamb was a movie that I had on DVD. Um, it was one of those ones where you never knew if it was on cut or not, so I kind of avoided watching it for a long time. So then when I realized that Arnith was going to put out the Blu-ray, I was like, well, you know, I definitely want to watch that ASAP because it's going to be uncut. It's going to be in HD. It'd be very cool to check this out for the first time. Now, I've watched Untold Story half a dozen times. It's my favorite Cat 3 movie. I think it, it's just kind of amazing. And so I was really excited to watch Dr. Lamb because I knew it was kind of the precursor, one of these deals that kind of kick the Cat 3 titles or the true crime kind of uh, horror stories from the Hong Kong cinema. So Dr. Lamb follows the... Uh, uh, it's based on true story and very similar to untold story, how it has the true crime element and everything like that of one of the, one of two serial killers, um, re- reported serial killers or recorded serial killers from Hong Kong. And uh, he's a taxi driver. So like we have these elements of, you know, taxi driver in there, but then, we also have the same kind of similar structure to Untold Story. Now, the Untold Story is basically about um, a, a serial killer a criminal who is caught by police about the midway mark of the film, and he's forced to confession. And we kind of have this big reveal at the end. This film kind of opens up with the killer and Simon uh, Yam. He's in a bunch of movies. He's in like uh, he's like Hong Kong royalty as well. We, we open up with him being captured in the opening of the film and him kind of being put pressured into the confession. Like, again, it shares the DNA with untold story of the cops beating the suspects, which seems to be kind of a common thing in these Hong Kong movies. And it has so many other similarities, of course. You know, Hong Kong cinema at this time has a, a layer of comedy, inappropriate to most, you know, Western viewers, I would say, even though I'm sure that the British people... Got it more. But as an American, you know, popping it in for the first time, if you've never seen a Hong Kong horror film, they'll have this layer of comedy after something really horrific. And tonally, it could be a little jarring to people. To me, I've obviously, you know, grown to like it and grown to appreciate it. It's here as well. So, essentially... Like, we go to this character's entire story, and he basically, it goes over four murders. And it's, like I said, it has some of the police procedural, big time. And then we also have, like, these flashbacks. Um, It is similar to other Billy Tang movies, Brother of Darkness and Red to Kill. Now, Red to Kill is a little bit more crazy, if you guys haven't seen that one. And it's funny because this movie shares so much of the same um, you know, cast and crew. I believe it's the same writer, if I'm not mistaken. It definitely has the same, one of the same leads in Danny Lee, who co directed this as well as the Untold Story. So he, he basically puts himself in kind of a similar uh, role here. So this movie, after it came out, it I guess, it, you know, kind of lit it on the Hong Kong kind of Cat 3 movies on fire, the rating and the, the extreme cinema and stuff like that. You had Untold Story after this. You had several kind of true crime movies like this. So um, horror films that are just kind of in the extreme element, you know, um, taboo breakers. So yeah, Dr. Lam, now I will admit that I did enjoy it. It was a very professionally well done film with a lot of those kind of Hong Kong craziness that I've enjoyed, but I did hype it up for myself right because um and i should have realized you know nothing's going to top the unsold story you've seen that movie like i said six times so it's just one of the movie that you it's one of your favorite horror films so you know i did hype it up and i try not to do that i still thought it was really good and more so what i thought was it was very interesting and it was just interesting seeing all these kind of things happen before and and where they took their inspirations from and what it went on to inspire um the character, the serial killer himself, you know, he has a little Ed Gein stuff going on, and uh, Bruce Holchek and Art editor mentioned that in the commentary. They also did the commentary for House and Edge of the Park by Severin and another unearth release, Untold Story, where they talk a lot about Hong Kong and Cat 3 films. They do a very good job. No different here. They talk a little bit about the real case. They talk about all the, the players in there, what they went on to do, how they relate to this movie, all sorts of things like that. They actually pointed out that Simon Yao um, played this character, this real-life serial killer, in uh, kind of like a Hong Kong uh, television-like program that were like these hour-long specials. And and he played him uh, in 1991, which is crazy to me. So this case originally took place in, what, the early 80s, and he was apprehended in 83. Um, and it took years for them to make an uh, uh, actual film of it. They made one in the 80s. I think they said Hong Kong Butcher, um, which I never had seen. I think I have a DVD somewhere around here. But then they made this one in 1992. So that's really interesting to me because in 1994, the, there was two films made, um, The Rapist and Portrait of a Serial Rapist, both based off the other serial killer um, known from Hong Kong. And those movies were made right after the case. So they were made very fresh after the case happened. So that's intense. Like, you know, those movies probably would have never been made if it did, this didn't catch fire and the true crime thing. And, like, the untold story was made. All these true crime stories were made. And it's just nuts. So they always have kind of social messaging at times. And they're like Red to Kill does. Um, yeah, the movie, as far as, like, extreme gore is concerned, like, at, at the first, like, 30 minutes, you really don't see that much extremity. Um, they, they kind of, how they catch him and they start interrogating him until about the 40 minute mark, everything starts to break down. And we see, you know, him he kind of confess to the first murder and why it happened. It's very typical in serial killer fashion, how he was triggered. Something upset him and he killed. And then afterwards, he just kind of took on this God complex where he's going to go around and clean the streets. Oh, a, la, a la Travis from Taxi Driver, but on uh, that serial killer mentality that a lot of them seem to have. So he starts killing and he starts to mutilate the bodies. He keeps pieces in Ed Gein fashion, and at one point he does something to the body that uh, a lot of you know serial killers would be known for in extreme kind of, uh, let's just say, you know, York Buckaret fashion so there's a lot of these taboos being broken, um, and the cops are kind of ridiculous and over the top like you would expect, and I feel like I spotted every cop from Untold Story in here and and a couple extra ones as well, the heavyset guy in here is in a bunch of these uh, Cat 3 movies as well, and if I'm not mistaken, is it the same heavy guy from The Beast from 1980 I, I believe it probably is so like a lot of the same cast pops up um, and the brutality and there's a lot of weird jokes and you know of course all, all the stuff you would expect in a Cat 3 movie Um for the most part, I would like to revisit this one. So if we ever draw 1992 for a retro year, it definitely will be one that it's on the top of the list to revisit because I think that there is a, it's definitely a contender for the top ten. It just was one that I you know I, I had trouble not comparing it directly to the Untold Story and you know Anthony Wong in that movie as like a masterful performance. Um, now Simon Yam in this movie is so over the top. Like he's very um you know quiet and um on, under the radar at first and just like really you know deadpan. But then when they show back the flashbacks of the murders, he's literally howling and dancing and just so over the top in, in insanity. And it's really crazy. Um, the outside street shots are really nice. You know, that kind of taxi driver at the, at the night stuff is really cool. And, and again, like the taxi driver idea would inspire another one by Herman Yao with Anthony Wong called Taxi Hunter, which is a really cool movie as well. So like... You really can't go wrong if you want something weird and offensive and just insane from, you know, the mid-80s. mid Like, I would even say a lot of the other stuff that went was retroactively rated Cat 3. Like, I, I believe the Beast has to be, right? I'm not 100% sure. But a lot of that stuff, like uh, Lost Souls, it's just really intense stuff. Like So anyways, the special features, like I said, there's a commentary by our editor and Bruce Holchek. They do an excellent job. I always enjoyed them. They had a lot of knowledge and uh, they did a lot of research for this, including watching uh, several cat three movies, land to the slaughter interview with filmmaker, Gilbert Poe, who initiated the Dr. Lamb film project. That was interesting too, because he had worked in a lot of Hong Kong films and he talks a little bit about how it came together and all this kind of stuff and, and, and Danny Lee. And, and it's just really cool and about his movie obsession. So that was nice to see. Um, and three times the fear, f- film critic James Munge on the golden era of the Category 3. Also um, interesting as well, anytime somebody's going to sit down and talk about a lot of the Cat 3 titles and you know how they were made and all this kind of stuff and comparing them to others, I love. Cut and Run, film academic Sean Tierney, a.k.a. The Silver Spleen, remembers Dr. Lamb. Now, he didn't have that many nice things to say about the movie as a whole, but he said it's very entertaining and the lead performance by the killer is kind of very bizarre and off-putting directly compared to the Anthony Wong. I honestly had the same feelings when I was watching it. I was just like, I mean, Anthony Wong is like a world beater when it comes to acting. So in comparison, there's not much for me, um, in, in terms of quality, but his performance is just out, out to lunch, I would say, you know, um, and compare it to something like the, uh, I can't think of the character's name from red to kill. Another one that's out to lunch. These, these crazy antagonists in these movies, just so intense. Um, and then we have an Atomic TV interview with Simon Yam and he seems absolutely really friendly and willing to talk about this mentions that this one and you know some of the other like full contact were some of his favorite working experiences so anyways yes this is very cool to see these cat three movies getting these nice deluxe releases from On Earth and all these other companies and stuff like that, we have you know Untold Story and Doctor Lam on Blu Ray. We have you know Air 444s putting out some some Hong Kong stuff as well, and we even have a bullet syndrome on 4K. So it's a great time to be alive if you're into crazy Hong Kong films. Because honestly, you know when when a lot of movies get released and tons of stuff gets announced, and like it goes in in like these spans, like a lot of these Italian stuff will be hitting and then you'll see Spanish stuff and then you'll see some of the Asian stuff and then you'll see some of the Mexican horse rips. like it went in spans like when when stuff's up and rights are up but now we're we'll hopefully get some more of these coming until we basically bleed this whole you know this well dry because there's just a lot more out there and there's probably some crazy titles I'd never even heard of but anyways Dr. Land um one that I'm so glad I finally got to watch in a nice addition with special features because, you know, it's, it's a big piece of that puzzle that I needed to fill for my whole knowledge, Dr. Lamb. Okay, the next one up is from 88 Films and it is another pretty crazy movie, a pretty popular one. And this is another Shaw Brothers film and this is Flying Guillotine or Guillotine, I always say that wrong, Guillotine, part two. Um, yeah, so there was like a, a lot of, of these movies that involved like a guillotine or, um, guillotine's the choke, right? And guillotine is the head chopping. Okay, <laughs> so guillotine here um, there was some a couple of these that involved this kind of crazy weapons and everything like that, so the first one I had actually not seen, and it's it's not directly related to this like it's it's a sequel, I think in name only. So, uh, oh boy, this one is a wild movie. So, um, it's kind of a typical kind of story, um, except it has so many wild, crazy moments that it, it kind of unfolds in an untypical way, you know. It stands out from the pack of Shaw Brothers martial arts films um, because, you know, there's always so many stories that are told in these, you know. you know, this, this martial arts club wants to fight our martial arts club or, you know, I'm a loner that comes into town and I'm going to make a name for myself. There's so many of these elements and everything like that or we need to learn this new martial arts to beat the bad. Daddy. This one has like these elements and everything like that, but it also has like a cool, you know, we have like a, a tyrant king running this area, and he's absolutely horrible. He's such a bad person, and uh, basically a group of rebels from all over form together to try to take him out. So like uh, it's him trying to find the rebels, and people kind of, yeah, kind of getting in on the best side of him and trying to, you know, get the best chance to assassinate him. But the crazy thing here is the baddie has um, hired people to invent this weapon called the guillotine guillotine which you know it's just one of the most insane weapons in any of these movies it is a, it's a, it is what it sounds like it's kind of like a um a flail right but it's longer like a, a, a rope or a, a whip and you throw it and it this device flies in the air it lands on your head And it it goes down and it just essentially chops your head off and pulls your head off completely. So we see this happen numerous times to numerous different characters to a lot of, you know, the characters that are trying to like that you learn to like and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of characters going on. Sometimes it can be a little confusing to try to keep track of who's who um, and the rebel side because there's a lot of, you know, changing and stuff like that. Um, But I I just was really impressed with the, you know, the, the amount of characters and the weapons and the fighting and the, you know, the gore. Like, they're not afraid to kill people. The bad guy was absolutely insane. Um, also has a couple badass female characters in there, which is really nice. There's this moment where they kind of infiltrate the area, and there's like a group of guards. Um, it's kind of like uh, what you really would kind of expect like this. There's a, There's also like a really badass guy that invents like a way to stop the, to stop the weapon. And like, so they, like there's like people like weapon, like kind of like expert weapon makers trying to make one like that stops his weapon. it it just gets intense. Um, and it, Ends on a crazy note. Like, it's one of those ones that there's a couple that end like that where you're like, so, oh shit, it's gonna, end. Well, that's what we're doing. Um, so, like, I think One Arm uh, was the one, uh, Jimmy Wang, uh, the Chinese boxer, I think has that kind of note where it just ends like that. and You're like, oh shit. Um, this definitely has the same kind of feeling here. So, um, like I said, the fights are really good and they incorporate that crazy weapon. So, that pretty much takes out all- everybody that dies on the hero side most likely gets killed by that. So, um, as far as the special features are concerned, we have, um, um okay we have we have some books loads and everything so I want to get to the commentary. I wrote a commentary with Asian cinema experts Mike Leader and Army Vimona again. And we also have artwork from Kung Fu Bob O'Brien and a collector's booklet notes by Barry Forshaw. So, this is obviously one that has a cult following. Um, people always list Quentin Tarantino, love this movie as well. And you could definitely tell here for sure. Um, and, and for good reason it's entertaining, it's gory, it's intense, it's just a lot of fun. It's The Flying Guillotine. So, check this one out too Flying Guillotine Part 2. Okay, the next one up is a doozy. This is from the MVD Rewind Collection. And this is one that I had not heard much about. I, I had never seen it. It is Miami Blues, starring Jennifer Jason Lee, Alec Baldwin, and Fred Ward. I uh, love all three of those people. Um, you know, Alec Baldwin obviously has not had, you know, some some good, um, you know, he's not having a good time right now and everything has a bad, you know, His star meter is probably not the highest, and I don't want to get into all that, that unfortunate accident, all this kind of stuff. Um, So yeah, Alec Baldwin, you know, uh, this is the year after Beetlejuice, and that's probably the first time I ever registered Alec Baldwin. He'd obviously go on to become a huge star, and uh, yeah, Jennifer Jason Leigh, she's always excellent, one of the best actresses ever, and she has a really kind of, a role you would think she would play, but she does it really well, and Fred Ward who is such a charming son of a bitch. I always love him, ever since Tremors. And he actually, he's like a cop in this one, an older cop, and he's really funny. This movie is just off the rails weird. Like, now it's not like something crazy, like I would mention, like, um, you know, Dr. Lamb or the Flying Guillotine, Guillotine 2. It's not something crazy like that. It's just the tone is bizarre. So I put this in, and I didn't know exactly what to expect. And Alec Baldwin is just wired. Like he he feels more like Stephen Baldwin from the Unusu- The Usual Suspects, right? He just literally is just like hyper spastic. He's an ex-con that just got released from prison, and uh, right when he's, within the first 10 minutes, he's committed a a murder against a Hira Krishna in a a weird comedic way, and Fred Ward is kind of on somebody's tail who did it. He thinks, uh, and it leads, eventually it leads him to this. And it has like a true romance element, too, because Alec Baldwin meets this call girl and Jennifer Jason Lee, and basically they form a relationship, and she wants him to go straight. But uh, Alec Baldwin doesn't plan on that so one day fred ward catches up to him um and he ends up getting the better of fred ward he takes his badge and he basically impersonates a police officer to commit a bunch of wild crazy crimes throughout the rest of the movie it's really comedic it's really funny it's in miami so it's brightly colored there's moments of these bizarre weird characters popping out just lots of good laughs um and and really kind of insane and dark dark humor um, on top of that, um, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, Alec Baldwin is just unhinged and it's a performance I've never thought I would see from Alec Baldwin. If that makes any sense, he's just really weird, really crazy. Um, as far as, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, um, you know, I feel like she's kind of played similar roles to this that kind of like, you know, somewhat, you know, I don't want to say dullard, but she's sweet. She's good natured, but naive that in that kind of sense, you know, um, and, and like, it, the, the dialogue is so weird. Like, I can't help but laugh at it. Um, Fred Ward, again, um, also really well cast in here, kind of what you would expect. As far as the special features are concerned, there's not many, but there's one that is absolutely excellent, and I did not expect to see this. It is interviews with Alec Baldwin and Jennifer Jason Lee. It's 26 minutes. It appears to be made for this. And they must really think something of the movie because usually you don't get big stars to sit down and talk about something on, you know, some movies that aren't like the big, big kind of tentpole movies. And it was nice to see them talk about the film, working with Jennifer Jason, working with each other back and forth. And they seem to have, have had a good time. And they have, you can tell they have like a respect for the movie. Um, and it was something earlier in their careers. And they look back on it and they enjoy it. And they have fondness for their, their you know, their co-stars. And that was nice to see. Um, and, and Fred Ward just recently died, so R.I.P. Um, always a great actor, always tremendous. So yeah, check this one out. It looks good and sounds good. It does have um, the LPCM sound, and I noticed that a lot on a lot of the MVD Rewinds. They all typically have you know the L uh, LPCM uh, sound mixes. No no surround sound or Dolby Digital, but it's a two channel system. So if, if you're a fan of this one, I would recommend checking it out. And if you never heard of it, you know. Give it a spin. It's a lot better and a lot more wild than you would expect. I really enjoyed it. It's pretty, pretty rad. Uh, Miami Blues. Okay. So this next one, of course, is Jordan Peele's Nope. Um, now, I'll try to be a relatively uh, brief with this, I guess. Um, there's going to be a first part with no spoilers. Then the second part will have some spoilers. I'll be kind of quick. So, Jordan Peele, obviously, this is his third directorial uh, film. He um, His third horror film in a row, which is nice to see because you really don't expect, you know, Jordan Peele. I didn't know if he was going to stay in the horror genre. Obviously, comes from a comedy background originally. So, after Get Out and Us, he does Nope. Um, so, so, Nope has a two-hour and ten-minute runtime. I'm just saying this is for everybody's notice. Um, we get there to the theaters, and there's 27 minutes of trailer. They really ought to stop putting so many trailers in there, or at least give us a little, uh, you know, middle break and everything like that. So the movie starts, and uh, I noticed the cast. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. We have, uh, you know, some uh, the the main guy from Get Out. I'm like, okay, cool. We also have some classic kind of veteran actors in Keith David, one of my absolute favorites, and Michael Wincott, who is known for his voice uh, and his, his weird kind of performances. Good actor, of course. So it starts off, and um, I notice kind of a western feel, which I, which I dig. I'm like, oh yeah, it, it's brought a lot lot of bright lights and stuff and just like it's filmed in this like southwestern area on a ranch and it has these characters that you know run this kind of uh, you know horse kind of uh, you know stunt place and they have like a nice little story behind everything like that and something tragic happens right in the very beginning. Um And like without spoiling it, this kind of leads one of the characters to go down this rabbit hole. They start to do some research. And they start to notice that something's just not right around their ranch. Um, and, and that's kind of what happens. And, and they start to dig deeper. They have some help from some other people. And yeah, what this movie does is, you know, it has a lot of these like, really suspenseful moments, um, really intense moments. And then in the second half of the movie, there, there's this like there's themes that do pop up. Themes about, you know, um, kind of like downplaying your trauma or kind of like embracing your trauma to make a dollar. And there's also like an animal training motif kind of thing going out throughout the entire film. Um, There was one point in the movie, I will say that it did seem like it was a little long in the tooth, where I was like, okay, we need... And then right after I was started thinking that, we get this, this kind of crazy payoff of intensity, and I was like, oh, wow, that is crazy. So the one thing I really do... I like about the movie, there's nothing I really dislike about the film at all. I think it's really good. I think it's solid. Um, it's not perfect for me, but what is? Um, the thing I do like about Jordan Peele is that it really... You can tell he has a lot of love for horror films. You can see little remnants of other horror films in there as well. So I would really give Nope a chance. This is a spoiler-free review, so I won't go into that many details about it. I liked all the characters. I didn't have much preference over one or the other on the first view. Um, the sister and brother character, of course, that's nice to have them. And they definitely play on each other's personalities, one being more outgoing, one being more you know introverted and quiet, and, and that works well um and and that kind of deal so like the ranch is also very beautiful um and um there is an animal attack scene in here which is horrific definitely the scariest part for me um because the animal in question is one that absolutely terrifies me and you always hear horror stories about that animal when it comes to that so let's get into the spoiler part all right um the spoilers here if i had to explain this movie quick as possible i would say you know it's air tremors It's essentially air tremors. We have, you know, a group of people that are trying to survive in this kind of Western-styled, you know, cowboy, you know, southwestern town that's isolated. And there's a creature it's not underground this time, it's coming from the sky it's coming out of the clouds, it's a very unique way that they did it, because at first they play it as a UFO film, but then it becomes kind of a creature feature, which I thought was really awesome Um, there is an amazing payoff here with Steven Yeun's character uh, where we actually see how the creature feeds that part was very intense Um, this is the only movie that I can think of, maybe off the top of my head there is a couple Evil Dead remake that does rain blood but this time it rains blood all over our entire fucking house, and they have a legitimate reason for it happening, so like, there's these moments in here that you could tell that somebody just wanted to do it. So I was like, let's have it rain blood on a house. we got to get that in there somehow. Let's have um, somebody sing Purple People uh, Eater, or however the song goes. But hey, 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 i got to bet with you that no matter what Michael, Wincock sa- Michael Wincott says, it'll be effective because this guy's got the voice of a god. So, essentially, we're going to incorporate Michael Wincott singing uh, the Purple People Eater. One-eyed Purple People Eater, or whatever. And it's, it's, it It works. You know, because it's Michael Wincott and the way it's set up, so that's very funny. So there's those aspects to it. Um, like there's these little moments. Um, of course, he tries to recreate that scene and, uh, you know the remix on "Us" of you know I got what what is the, the rap song? I can't think of it. Uh, I got something. I fuck. I'm I'm dumb. I'm old forgive me. But this song that he tries to do the remake, I'm a little bit more familiar with. Corey Hart, I Wear My Sunglasses at Night, and that's also very effective. It also shows you just how different things can be, right? It, never would anyone think, um, I wear my sunglasses at night, going to be scary. But in this context, it can be. And that's just a cool thing of taking something very normal, very typical and making it scary. Yeah, Stephen King would do that kind of stuff, right? He would take a car or um, a, a, a thim, one of the monkeys with the symbols in one of the stories and make it scary. You know, it's just taking the ordinary or something like that and putting it in a different situation can make it terrifying. Um, yeah. Anyways, I did enjoy Michael Wincott's kind of deal as well because he's, you know, this 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 director and they so, show him watching like animals attacking other animals. And it's like, he's just like this kind of guy that wants to get the ultimate shot that shot no one else kind of got the ultimate filmmaker right the the one to do it all so i really liked it i enjoyed it quite a bit like i said there is a small little five to ten minute segment where i was like we can move this along a little quicker but hey there's a there's right after i said that it came on and you know somebody in the editing room or, or jordan peele was like you know let's speed this up a little bit and boom we get we get some really good uh moments there uh the monster is bizarre i've never seen anything quite like it so that's pretty cool um flying stingray turned uh you know um you know parade float killer thing who the fuck knows it's pretty cool um, And to be honest, it plays on that UFO kind of abduction kind of storyline, right? Where you think it's going to be that. And I know this is, might be a hot take or anything like that, but I don't think there's ever been a truly great a UFO abduction movie. Fire in the Sky has an amazing scene and it's a, it's a fine movie. Communion has its moments, but there's not one that stands out where like, that's an, that's the best movie ever. No, they're not really, they're not, they're not, you know, there's never been one on that level of like an exorcist or, or a shining or something like that. Right. Or a night of the living dead. There's just never been the ultimate alien abduction movie movie that I can think of now there's been aliens invading earth invasion of body snatchers that are absolutely excellent but abduction movie has there been an ultimate abduction movie I don't know anyways Jordan Peele's nope Um, this one's not an abduction movie either but it's it's pretty cool stuff and it has a lot of similarities to that and they play off that for a long time good stuff good performances all around a good film Um, rated R but not uh, overly grotesque to the point where it might scare your kids or something but I think that you know kids could probably see this and not be too messed up from it Okay, the next one up is the Patreon pick and of course this is Arthur Penn this is a Chris Rivers pick and this is Bonnie and Clyde from 1967 and this was the probably the number one movie that I was ashamed of that I had never seen because this one is tailor made for me Um, I mean it's probably made for a lot of people but I'm always interested in true crime I'm interested in Bonnie and Clyde and uh, you know the director did The Chase from 1966 excellent movie which I think Chris Rivers also picked for me to watch Um, it's got a great cast Warren Betty Faye Dunaway Gene Hackman Michael J. Pollard so just a lot of people in here everybody does an excellent job Um, you know I love the movie Dillinger from 1973 also based on you know a real-life criminal around this time and Dillinger Bonnie and Clyde kind of you know very much in the same kind of story but different outcomes and different you know like whatever you know Dillinger is probably more high-profile in terms of successful criminal if that makes any sense but the movie Dillinger by John Milius is very comparable to Bonnie and Clyde by Arthur Penn so a lot of this right here um, Bonnie and Clyde always got called kind of that movie that was one of those first steps towards that that violent nihilism you know Know, that would go into the Wild Bunch, or Night of the Living Dead, and all that kind of stuff like that. Until we last house Texas Chainsaw, it was always kind of used as as uh, you know one of those movies that was like a, a stepping stone to that or, or a tentpole movie in that aspect. So um, yeah, the acting is really great. What what can you say? I mean, it's Warren Beatty who you know um, and, and uh, Faye Dunaway. They're really good. And I'm, I'm not as familiar with these actors and actresses as I should be. Although I've seen them pop up in a few things. It's funny because you know Warren Beatty would make Dick Tracy, and he actually uses a couple of the actors in this in Dick Tracy, which obviously probably friends and everything like that. So um, I always had the idea that Gene Hackman was going to be the cop, um, Frank Hammer or whatever, that was chasing uh, Bonnie and Clyde. But that's not true. He's actually plays Buck. He plays his brother, which I loved because we get to see, you know, Gene Hackman and Warren Betty interacting with each other and bullshitting as brothers. Um, like I said, they kind of condense characters from the real life story, which I can understand why. Michael J. Pauler is phenomenal in it. Um, he plays kind of, the the guy that nobody remembers his name. Um, and Dub Taylor's also in here, another great character actor from a bunch of Peckinpah movies and a slew of other kind of movies. Anybody might recognize him if they've seen any of these movies, but you know, it's one thing, you know, the end of Bunny and Clyde, you know what happens to him. But, uh, so, so you're kind of waiting that, but there's a lot of intense action moments when they're robbing banks and all this kind of stuff. Um, and you like them. And it was a super interesting time in history that, like, these criminals kind of came. It was like a a continuation of the Wild West. Um, And I know Last Podcast on the Left covered, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, the story and stuff like that. And they had, they were like, uh, they were celebrities, right? Um, and, And somewhat, you know, serial killers have become somewhat celebrities as well. But I feel like more of the common man could relate to Bonnie and Clyde. And they're definitely painting this whole, you know, um... A dust farm kind of area where these people are been, they lost their lives to the bank. So there's an out way to get revenge on the bank. So anybody that robs a bank, you know, they're like, well, fuck the bank. No one really gives a shit about the bank because the bank did all these farmers dirty. So it's just kind of like in a way, um, uh, a kind of anti, you know, establishment movie in some aspects and all this kind of thing too. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a really kind of, cool movie and they definitely put that in there as well but they also show you know the dark side to them and uh there's the, the element with warren betty who's impotent originally was supposed to be homosexual because i always believe that was a rumor you know from clyde being in a lot of the prisons whatever whatever it was i'm not 100 percent sure on uh, the accuracy of that or what but uh yeah anyways it's really great i mean newsflash bonnie and clyde is an excellent movie i mean what is there to say? You know, it's obvious, but I'm finally glad I got to watch it. There is some special features on here. Um, new 40th anniversary, uh, commemorative documentary revolution to Making a bunny and Clyde. And they go into casting it and stuff and they get a lot of the people in here to do interviews. A lot of the big actors and everything, including Gene Hackman and Warren Betty. And, and I believe even Faye Dunaway. So, um, and also one of the funniest characters in the movie is, is, is Estelle Parsons. She's fucking hilarious. And I think she was nominated for an Oscar. I think she might've won a bunch of these people were nominated. She's, She's the wife of Gene Hackman and she's constantly panicking and everything like that. But Gene Hackman also great, right? I mean, is one of the greatest actors of all time. I would say one of the greatest living actors. I mean he's still alive. And then we have a history channel profile, Love and Death, the story of Bonnie and Clyde, Warren Betty Wartrobe Test, additional scenes, theatrical trailer. Yeah, I mean anybody that's not seen this should definitely see it. Um, I'm a big fan of you know couples on on the run including Badlands True Romance, Natural Born Killers and and, you know uh, I I like pretty much all those movies and this is one of the ones that was you know the big one one of the tent poles of that genre and uh, yeah I think everybody should see it of course and I finally got to watch it you know and it's a a, a big blind spot for me kind of shameful definitely shameful not kind of majorly shameful alright guys let's hop into those 1980 movies
1: they did this to you They're trying to turn us against each other. Just look at them. What do they know about friendship anyway? I'll get them. You watch. I'll take care of those sons of bitches. Watch it, Alan, I'm shooting.
0: Oh, good Lord. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual right or with the
1: almost profound respect Getting very careless, blood in your hair. What will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? I can't believe you're not afraid All you have to do is
0: piss on it Could you catch blood, ain't ya? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here Go on, get Leave people alone You'll never come back again Oh, shut up, Ralph
1: It's got a death curse Evil Go my leg Go my leg Hi, Keaton You're here There's a fog bank out there of God, you do, will you stay here? Demanding everything, including blood. John, I want this material burned, all of it.
0: the lake, the, the one who attacked me, the one
1: who pulled me underneath the water. Then he's still there. Used
0: deserve
1: I think you will all meet again. <laughs>
0: In hell! I'd have mercy on his soul. He was
1: one ruthless son of a bitch. Wendy. Darling, light of my life, I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains. I'm going to bash him right the Well dad, are you proud of me now? Do I measure up? My son, my son was a son of a bitch. And he was no good. That's it. My son is dead. I don't want to talk about him no more. See me.
0: You're gonna die. Mater He didn't
1: find any boy.
0: Major You know
1: as well as I do, he takes all kinds of critters I to make, make farm farmer and, and fritters. <laughs> I wonder who the real cannibals are.
0: Alright, the first up is uh, one that i seen years back, and this is the island. Um, this is what, is it, uh who Who did this Michael Crichton was the writer of the book, I believe, and it's directed by Michael Ritchie. Now this is weird. the day before I watched this um the day day after I watched this, David Warner died David Warner is in this film classic character actor excellent actor he's in you know in the mouth of Badness waxwork the Peckin Paw three movies he did with Peck paw he's just uh time bandits time after time he's just one of the best character actors i've always been a big fan of him. One of my friends actually favorite actor is David Warner, so uh yeah, anyways the island uh Like I said, it had been a while. Michael Caine's in this along with David Warner. And uh, yeah, so anyways, Michael Caine is a journalist and he realizes that a bunch of people are going missing, you know, in I believe like the Florida coast and whatnot. I believe that's where it's at. Yeah. So, so he wants to go down there. He's got his kid for the weekend. Him and his wife are estranged. He goes down there. And, uh you know he takes his kid on this kind of like this route, and the the worst thing happens um basically, he's kidnapped by pirates, so essentially, what's happening is these pirates have been living out here in this civilization forever for quite a long time actually um, and they kill anybody they come across they pillage like pirates do and they kidnap the young children and raise them as their own so uh, Michael Kane is spared because they want him to mate with uh, the woman of the husband he killed um, when he initially was attacked and basically his son's starting to kind of be turned into a pirate uh, by David Warner um, who is the leader of the pirates um, the opening kills in this movie are super intense you watch those and there's a group of old fishermen or kind of like guys that are on this like a uh, charter boat and they're killed and it's a brutal murder like axe to the head somebody's belly is split open on the side and the belly is split open so graphically i was like oh boy I, I don't remember that being so rough it's really rough stuff the ending is also super memorable because you know it's the navy versus pirates and there's a high kill count involving you know a gun uh that uh, a similar gun that would be used as something like the wild bunch that's just a slight spoiler there probably major spoiler, but anyways, a lot of people die by that gun, it's pretty intense stuff uh, Michael Caine is always good, um, David Warner is always good, some of the side baddies are memorable and creepy and weird and entertaining um, yeah, but, uh, you know, it does slow down a bit in parts, it's a little long um it's like an almost 2 hours I think it kind of wears out its welcome just slightly but it's in a beautiful location it's got a cool concept and those two the opening and the ending are, are really top notch so I, overall I really like the movie I think it's pretty good um there is a character actor in here there's a couple of character actors you'd recognize uh the guy from stuff like uh, Serpent and the Rainbow he pops up in here he has some funny lines and the pilot the pilot actually has my favorite line in the film um, I'm going to just say it because they set this up brilliantly too. So essentially he's flying a small little plane. It's illegal um, for him to be doing this. He's helping you know, uh, Michael Caine out probably getting paid a decent amount. So basically he said, there's a pig on the, the plane and he says, don't worry about it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll put her under. Um, you never, you don't want the, the pig freaks out in the air. You don't want a, a 500 pound boar losing their shit, going ape shit when you're 500 feet in the air, whatever he says. But, uh, basically he says to the kid, he's like, here, put this hat on. It's, uh, it's illegal for me to drive with one pilot. He says, one time I tried to put it on the pig bitch bit me it was absolutely it's just the way his delivery is the way it's it's set up is absolutely one of the funniest lines of 1980 but uh yeah as as far as the special features are concerned there's absolutely none you get the dvd you get the blu-ray i don't know why no one wanted to talk about this one it's got kind of a middling reputation some people kind of like it some people hate it i think it's pretty solid um and and it's much better than i remembered um yeah so I, i would check this one out uh yeah it's good stuff Okay, the next one up is Island Claws. And is a rewatch with this one as well. It had been a long time. This is a code RED Blu-ray. And uh, the actor in here that I most recognize is Robert Lansing. Robert Lansing was a television actor in a lot of stuff, but he turned in a tremendous performance in the film Scalpel. If nobody's ever seen Scalpel, Arrow Films put that out. He's great in it. He's really solid in this one as well. So essentially what happens here is there is this lab that is doing these experiments on these crabs. They're trying to make them grow rapid um, so you know they can have more food, yada, yada, yada. At the same time, some radio you know, active power plant screws up and something gets in the water. Of course, you know what that means. The crabs get ultra-aggressive. They're getting bigger. And there's probably a giant crab out there ready to eat people. So uh, the movie does follow that storyline and follows a lot of the characters that are involved with that, some people that work at the lab, some people that live in this community. And of course, they're both going to meet. Um, so essentially a lot of the movie is spent with a lot of the characters of the small community. They definitely have this kind of weird quality about them. I like it a small town community, a lot of character actors or, or so character actor seeming people. Maybe they didn't do too much after this, but they all kind of got their look and and their demeanor. And we also kind of add in this element of, you know, Haitians kind of illegally coming here. And then there's like a racism and turmoil between them. But you know, that is settled in a certain way because when everybody realizes there's more important things to take care of um, and stop blaming um you know the Haitians for this stuff it's a fucking giant crab then you know it surprisingly comes together better than a lot of the other movies would a lot of times you know these people in movies just go nuts and they refuse to work together that happens in so many movies so uh, yeah any, anyways uh, island crabs um it's pretty solid I mean animal attacks movies I don't know what you expect from a movie about a giant crabs there's only one giant giant crab but I enjoy seeing him he doesn't move that well like I said, Robert Lansing steals the show. There's a lot of like drama and backstory between them. And the movie probably is very guilty of just people stopping and talking forever and giving these backstory instead of a lot of crab action. Um, you know, the crabs don't kill people as violently as one would expect or as gory. But uh, I like the location, I like the setting, I like the small town feel, the setup is very typical, and it, it feels a lot like you know a 70s Animal Attacks movie, even though it is 1980. And the movie itself, I enjoy it. I do. And this was a rewatch, I enjoyed it more this time around. Around. and Robert Lansing is charming he's charming in the film although he's not really the main character he's supporting he definitely steals the show um, uh, There's a, there, the crab doesn't make that many appearances he is in the very end there is a really tremendously sad scene involving a dog I won't spoil that but the way that's done it's really you can see uh, the acting in the actor's eyes who I, I don't want to spoil who, who's dog it. it's kind of obvious Robert Lansing <laughs> fucking, the, the, the sadness in his eyes really works and sells that scene so yeah I enjoy it good stuff Time to end the kind of crazy beach, uh, you know, water theme here from 1980, and we're going to talk about Blood Beach. Uh, this is the DVD import. The thing's never got a Blu ray, or it's never properly had a Blu ray release, or even a stateside release. Um, I have a VHS, and I have this. This import from Germany from Jam Pictures. Uh, Yeah, you can also find it online and it's kind of an uncut, like put together, extended version. It stars uh, David Huffman, who I'm not familiar with, but we got John Saxton, who I absolutely love. This is the third horror film uh, that he's in for 1980, along with Beyond Evil and, of course, Cannibal Apocalypse. We got Burt Young, who is an excellent actor. Everybody knows Burt Young from, you know, the Rocky films. And we got Marianna Hill, who's in this year's Schizoid um, and also one of my favorites, Messiah of Evil, where she she plays kind of someone who's unhinged um unreliable narrator type, and she's excellent at that. So, yeah, um, I've covered this one before on the VHS Voyage, and I was never uh, too happy with the movie to be honest. But rewatching it this time, maybe I came around, maybe it's just it's just I knew what to expect. So, what we have here is people are getting sucked under the sand. A great premise, right? Uh, a terrifying premise because everyone's wondered, you know, uh, when they're running on the beach or something, under the sand is just grabbing them. Um, it's also got a great tagline, just when you thought it was safe to get in the water, you can't get there. And John Saxon definitely says that. So, uh, it basically falls i think he's like a, uh some sort of marine police officer and a, a woman he knows his uh, almost uh you know stepmom or no his almost in-law mom he was about to marry your daughter years ago that whole story unfolds disappears on the beach we know she was eaten by this creature and so, you know, Marianna Hill shows up. That's the daughter. And they start kind of, like, rekindling their relationship. At the same time, there's cops trying to find find out whatever, you know, what's going on here. And John Saxon's the captain. He has a couple of really good speeches, interactions with people. And Burt Young is a cop from Chicago that constantly will nonstop talk about Chicago. He's like, in Chicago, we don't do this. You know that guy from a different place that always says how much better his place is. or how. So he's entertaining. He's very funny in it. Um, and he probably is one of the highlights, along with John Saxton. So, essentially... They just try to figure out what's this thing in the beach uh, eating people it does happen a few times where it attacks Um, none of the deaths are overly well done but it is scary just to see somebody get sucked under the sand I mean they're well done but they're not gratuitous if that makes any sense except one which is where a would-be rapist attempts to attack this girl under the boardwalk and he loses his you know his weapon Um, that's a great scene it's very hilarious it's very exploitation like and you just kind of get just desserts right there Um, yeah so, so anyways it's fine um um, the ending is a little kind of a letdown because you you kind of get a glimpse of the monster and then they le- they definitely leave it open for a sequel. Why didn't we get blood beaches? Um, it, it would have been quite good uh, <laughs> I don't know But a- anyways, it's an okay movie with a great premise um, Great premise, great concept You know, okay execution A little dull, a, lot, a little too much talking A little too much procedural stuff And again, the lead actor, not bad, not horrible He's the least interesting part of the movie Um, So so that tends to happen in a lot of these movies So, Blood Beach from 1980 Not going to make my top 25 But well worth a watch if you're into these kind of B movies And the idea is cool So, check it out You know, when I started in 1980, the last person I expected to see a movie from was fucking John Huston, you know, director of Treasure of Sierra Madre, Maltese Falcon, you know, one of the greatest directors of all time. He also pops up in Chinatown as an actor, a very memorable voice. So this one is called Phobia. This is a Blu-ray from Kina Lorber, and yeah, as Michael uh, Paul Michael Glazer, who I believe was from Dukes of Hazard, if I'm not, if I might be incorrect there. Um, you know, it's been a long Starsky and Hutch. Jeez, Dukes of Hazard. I'm a dumb dumb. Sorry, I mixed up Starsky and Hutch and Dukes of Hazard. I used to see Dukes of Hazard here and there on television. Never watched Starsky and Hutch growing up. Just never really played or I avoided it. So uh, yeah, this is a bizarre one. It opens up in a bizarre fashion as well. We have this new doctor, this doctor with this new treatment, and he's like trying to, he's like having all. These people face their phobias head-on, and you just kind of get into their heads, and they're all kind of eccentric criminals, or they have a criminal, you know, element, and that's why they're at this hospital, taken out of the prison for this experimental stuff. And there's just lots of crazy, weird stuff going on here in general. Uh, you know, we have somebody afraid of heights, somebody afraid of snakes, somebody afraid of, you know, crowds, all this kind of stuff. And uh, fairly quickly, one of the patients, while they're out trying to overcome their fears, is killed in a bombing attack that the police believe is meant uh, originally for, you know, the doctor. Um, so, so that's basically what happens here. The cop that comes in I think his actor's name is John uh, Kolokos, and he's also in another 1980 movie in The Changeling where he plays I think another cop and he's pretty crazy in that. So uh, basically cops get involved with this and they start to try to figure out who is the suspects and all this kind of stuff while more of these patients start to get killed in by their phobias. Um, it's okay. Um, it's a nice little thriller. Um, so, some cool deaths and the reveal is pretty wacky. Some psychological stuff going on. I mean a lot of people People probably hated on it because it was made by such a great director they expected a lot more from it but what you get is okay I enjoyed it myself it looks really good it sounds really good on Blu-ray um, there's an audio commentary by Cole Coop um, of exploitation and film historian Jason uh, Pinowski uh, interview with lead actress Susan Hogan interview with actress Lisa Langolis and I think she's the one who mentions you know a lot of people hated on this movie but let's see you being a John Houston movie uh, yeah and, and like the movie's not bad like it, it gets a lot of low-low ratings and it's just not as bad you know it probably attracted an audience that weren't used to watching horror movies from 1980 and i know you expect a little bit more from john houston but this would make a good double feature or a similar double feature with schizoid from this year it has the doctor the patient you know mystery kind of element very similar to schizoid actually phobia and schizoid they kind of go hand in hand Okay, now I'm going to be a little bit more brief with these Hammer House of Horrors than I should be, but uh, the first one up is going to be Guardian of the Abyss. So, Guardian of the Abyss, um, I forgot to write who directed these because usually all these ones, they usually have like... um, one of the directors is usually somebody that um, was, was kind of a Don Sharp, who directed a bunch of Hammer movies, um, a couple of the Draculas and whatnot. Did he do Kiss, Kiss of the Vampire? Yeah, so he did that. So, Guardian of the Abyss was a pretty wild one. Uh, basically, what we have here is a cult one. We have a cult uh, Hammer House of horse. So this uh, this woman is basically I think she bought an estate or something like that, and there's this weird mirror there. And uh, this guy that she knows tries to buy it over, from her for a pretty decent price. I'll give you a five or four. And then he's like, you know what? I'll give you a fifty for it. She calls over a friend who is like an antique dealer, and he says, you know, I'm gonna go get this appraised. Yada yada yada. So after a while, you know, this mirror is kind of a, like a main focus, and we have this woman who enters the picture, and she's like apparently escaping from this cult and all this kind of stuff here. So yeah, that's that's basically. Basically what happens um, and so there's a lot of twists and turns here we have like the two people kind of like looking into the mirror and, and like this guy trying to figure out everything until there's like a big reveal that's actually really kind of a nice curveball here um, yeah and, and the cult is cool the the motives are nice and like I said the twist is really good so this one is solid a solid hammer house of horse I don't have all that much to say about it um, but yeah uh, it's like I said you know it, it's uh, it's something kind of in the vein of a wicker man Uh, obviously not as strong as Wicker Man or as elaborate or as unique as the Wicker Man but still I guess it would be kind of in the same vein as something like that Okay, next up we have The Two Faces of Evil directed by Alan Gibson. Now did Gibson did he do Crescendo or did Don Ch- somebody did Crescendo? Is that Peter Sazney? I get mixed up. Um, that's another Hammer movie but uh, The Two Faces of Evil. Now this one I dug quite a bit. So in the very beginning we have a family of three driving during a, a storm and they're kind of on their way to their new house and there's a hitchhiker they almost hit in a slicker. So they pick him up. This guy immediately attacks the husband and they have this big crash. The wife wakes up in the hospital. She doesn't remember what happens. The husband has lost his his chance to speak, he cannot talk, um, and, and and the son is fine, but she, she starts to talk to the police and all these doctors, and she, she starts to kind of explain what happened, and they, they want to know what happened as well, and she starts to have these flashes of memory that this criminal and her husband got in a scuffle, so she ends up bringing her husband home, and he cannot speak because he had a, a injury to his throat. And as uh, we understand, she had a head injury. So it's kind of these ideas. It's like what what's reality, what's fiction, what's you know what's caused by the head injury, and all this kind of shit going on. And, and after a while, you know, uh, it starts to go down this rabbit hole where she's starting to suspect her husband not being her husband, and some sort of body snatcher, doppelganger, doppelganger story, which is really cool. And the end twist, I just loved the end reveal, the creepiness. It's just this. Uh, these are the kind of stories I, I tend to enjoy when it comes to sci-fi. So two. Faces of Evil was puts up uh, as one of my favorites from the Hammer House of Horrors. So yeah, check it. And the last of the Hammer House of Horrors is The Mark of Satan. Now this is a bizarre one. Like the only one, I I guess a movie I would explain this to would be like uh, Pie. Um, if anybody's ever seen Pi, and that's a movie about paranoia and math and just weirdness, you know, seeing the this, the mathematical equation Pi everywhere. So this starts to happen to this guy. Uh, he starts to hear the number nine everywhere. Nine here, nine there. He works in this medical facility. I'm not sure exactly what he does. Is he, like, clean up bodies for doctors? Anyways, he gets pricked by this needle, and he starts to get even more paranoid. He believes that the doctors are out to get him to poison him for some weird, nefarious reason. And as it goes on, like it gets more intense until he actually, you know, crosses a line that he can't come back from. And everybody that he sees in his life, he, he thinks is out to get them. And he has these flashes and these paranoia things. And, and it all comes back to the very opening of it. And I think it works pretty well. It's it's fairly effective, a solid, weird one. You know, those kind of ideas. That I bet the more you watch, the more you'll pick up on, although it is short. Um, it, it's worth checking out. Um, you know, and this is the one of these ones that, uh, it could have been, a, I, all these ones, all of them feel like they could have been half an hour and been improved or hour and a half and been improved. That's kind of the one downfall about the hammer house of horse, either flesh it out or cut it. That's how, that's like the weird hour mark movies are always like that for me. Sometimes, you know, they wear out their welcome even in that, but, uh, the mark of Satan I thought was pretty good. All in all the hammer house of horse. I'm glad I watched it. Um, I don't know how I would rank them all to be honest. Um. So, I'm going to go through all of them really quick. Witching time, I thought was okay. 13th reunion was a little better. Root Awakening, I thought was very good. Growing Pains, um, that one was good. House that Blood to Death, I thought was a little underwhelming. Charlie Boy, I thought was one of the better ones. Silent Scream, I liked because Cushing. Show of the Full Moon was okay. Carpathian Eagle was pretty solid. Guardian of the Abyss, I thought was pretty solid. Visitor from the Grave, I did not care for. Two Faces of Evil is one of my favorites. Marcus Satan was also pretty good. So, yeah, there we go. Just kind of a rundown on all of them. So, yeah, I don't know. I rank them. They're all from. They're all from two and a half to three and a half stars for me. Not out of five. Nothing really breaks that that three and a half. So Hammer House of cool stuff yeah and a bunch of you know veteran hammer directors including peter sazdy don sharp alan gibson okay it came to my attention i absolutely forgot to talk about one of the movies i watched so this was one from 1980 and it's going to be very brief because the movie was so bonkers and weird and i just don't know all that much about it, it is the uh, horrible honeymoon tour Now, I actually, what I did here was it was only available in a VCD rip and I couldn't really find anything about it. So I had to pull the files Um, when you follow, pull when there's a VCD rip has two audio streams. And when you convert it to an MP4, it plays both at the same time. So basically I had to pull that file, put it in Adobe, put fill left speaker with left or whatever to get the English one. And it, it was a very poorly over the top, ridiculously dubbed English track. So essentially, what happens is these couple are getting married. I believe it is the 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 woman's father is a scientist. He is murdered, and uh, basically they're going on their honeymoon. And what's happening is they're attacked by this hand. This hand, just a severed hand, is kind of going around the area and attacking everyone. There's a couple people that start to like sneak uh, snoop around the area to look for something, and it turns out the hand attacks them. What well, we come to find out, it was all a crazy medical experiment gone wrong and there's like an exposition dump. It's really weird. The hand is like partially like shadowed and the effects and everything. It's just kind of bonkers to think that there was a, a Taiwanese, it's technically a Taiwanese film, that... Um, was about a severed hand crawling around and killing people. Now I can't tell you all that much about it because it did have some really dry spots in there but um, you know it's a killer hand movie from Taiwan from 1980 super rare, super weird Uh, if anybody really wants to check it out uh, reach out to me. It's not the best quality one of course and there's some audio issues (laughs) as you can tell but uh, yeah um, just a weird one and one I'm glad I got to watch and I try to watch a little bit of something from every country and um, yeah every kind of type of movie. And I didn't know it was going to be a killer hand movie. So when it actually did pop up, cause there's not much on the movie. Um, but yeah, it, anyways, I laughed out loud when like, because the father dies in the beginning, but they're like reading a note and it's like overdubbed. And he's like, I, I, I am your, def-. it's so bad. It's so over the top. But um, yeah, I, it is not exactly an easy watch without context and without, you know, some stuff behind it. So it was okay. Um, I don't know. I've seen worse, objectively worse movies from this year, but um, this is, you know, towards the bottom, unfortunately, Maybe with you know a remastered edition, some context, you know, so a better dub or some just a subtitled version, um, Horrible Honeymoon Tour could be a little bit better, but uh, it, it's still a little interesting. And I'm glad I watched it. Hey, guys, what's up? We're here for You Ain't Seen. I picked this one for you. It is the 1986 John Carpenter classic, Big Trouble and Little China. Yeah, this movie is wild. It, it's really kind of there's not very many movies like it. Um, It's John Carpenter's kind of take on the weird mysticism, kind of karate action Mm -hmm. horror romance stories, movies that they had in like China and maybe Hong Kong at a certain point. But it's just a wild movie. It stars uh, Kurt Russell, of course, Kim Cattrall. And a whole lot of uh, Chinese people, including Victor Wong um, and James Hong. Victor Wong's in a slew of movies. He's in one other John Carpenter movie in Prince of Darkness, Mm -hmm. where he plays a great role. He's also in Tremors, Fatal Vacation, um, just kind of a staple in genre films. James Hong is in probably over 200 movies. Um, He's in stuff like The Vineyard. Um, He's in everything. Uh, Very memorable character actor as well. Yeah, um, it also has the Joey, uh, I can't remember his name, from Prince of Darkness as well. And it has a bunch of other people that pop up in martial arts films, and they play some crazy characters in this one. Boy, oh boy, this is a weird freaking movie. Um, it felt like Carpenter to you, but not like Carpenter at the same time, right?
1: I don't know if it necessarily felt like Carpenter. The score was very Carpenter. The, sc- the score was very Carpenter-ish. It's Carpenter-ish. <laughs> um, You know, I haven't seen that many Carpenter movies, so I don't really... I mean, you've seen Prince of Darkness,
0: Halloween, you've seen The Thing, you've seen In the Mouth of Madness, Uh, you've seen... I don't know if you've seen Escape from New York. You've seen all those.
1: All of them are so different, though. Uh, I I don't know. There's a
0: tone. There's there's something in there that you can see in Carpenter, I think. Mm -hmm. I think this one is just more lighthearted than a lot of his other stuff, and it was really nice to see him do that. Um, So the plot is as follows... Kurt Russell is uh, a, a, goof, a goofy truck driver who is just rambling. He's basically, if John Wayne was a moron, is how he plays it. And it, he's really fun. John Wayne in all his movies just
1: played a doofus. It kind of is like a slapsticky John Wayne type character. It, it gave me, like, like when we were watching it... Um, you were embarrassed for him? I wasn't embarrassed for him. I, I wasn't a big fan of his character. It was just a little bit obnoxious. But, <laughs> like... If it was like a remake, I, I I felt like, oh, it'd be like Chris Pratt vibes. I really wanted to see Chris Farley play the role, though, because I think that he probably would have um, meshed with it be- better. But it's about 10 years too early for, I feel like, Chris Farley to be...
0: Uh, he was dead by 96, I think. Who, Chris Farley? He died in 98 or something.
1: Wait, when did this movie come out?
0: Not 86.
1: Yeah, I think I it mean, was... five years. <laughs> like, eight years. Eh, seven years. Chris probably <laughs> didn't have
0: a long shelf life. He didn't have a big No, career. no, but I, I, th- I yeah. feel like, like, for whatever reason... It. Chris Pratt's dead on. If they remade it, it, it would be Chris Pratt. Oh, it he would had, be Chris Kurt Pratt. Russell even played Chris Pratt's dad exactly. in Rocket Guardians 2. So let's get that plot. Oh, um, boy, this is weird. So Kurt Russell, one day, he's uh, playing a Gambling... Uh, and his friend owes him some money, so he drives him over to pick it up. He ends up getting in between a gang war between two f- groups, and in the middle of it comes out this uh, this um, necromancer? Not a necromancer. or I'd say more like a lich. A lich in uh, James Hong, and he sees all this magical stuff. He ends up getting tied up into all this, and uh, he wants to help his friend get his girlfriend back because she's kidnapped at the airport. That's why they initially get entangled in the gang war. they chase after the guys who kidnapped um, his buddy's girlfriend. Um, Kim Cattrall also gets kidnapped and we realize that James Hong has this big ceremony that at a certain time he has to marry a green-eyed woman and sacrifice her to the gods so he can get a human body again. He has three goons in Thunder, Rain, and Lightning. Um, They all have pretty um, one of them has a big extensive career, but they've all been in movies. A couple well, uh, one of them was in a couple of Shaw Brothers movies. So, yeah. And what ensues is a roaring adventure that doesn't stop. It's just nonstop. There's creatures, there's special effects, there's comedy, there's romance, there's a lot. It's just a big smorgasbord of insanity. And it's not as quite as intense as something like Seventh Curse or as gory. It's more lighthearted. Yeah. I, and I know, I feel like what are some of those once a, like um, those big kind of Chinese ghost story? I really like to watch those those big epic movies like that. I've seen a lot of Hong Kong, but most of the Hong Kong stuff I've seen mm-hmm. or Chinese stuff has been kind of on
1: the sleazy, gritty, dirty side, even if it is magical. Yeah, like erotic ghost story. Or, or, or a erotic ghost story um is a lot of fun. But yeah, I, I feel like a, a lot of But is that one the Hong Kong one? Is that one the yeah. cat one? Yeah. It's and great. and I wonder if it's just because, you know, we were looking at like the co- the cat titles if if we fell into like the you know, the more sleazy side of, of what yeah, these is, are. Is, is that Yeah, that's the one we watched. Yeah, this um, is great. Uh no, yeah, it's it's very adventure like like it, it almost kind of gave me Goonies vibes. <laughs> it's um, the eighties, man. Yeah, but you know, like we're like we're <laughs> like wandering through the sewers. Like half the movie takes place in a sewer. Um, it it's really fun. I loved um, James Hong. Is he the villain? Yeah, and he keeps. Remember when he's in the wheelchair and he's a little old guy? You see that part was you know <laughs> like like his, his old makeup looked really cool. I mean, it looked like you know two inches of latex on his face, but um. But no, it it, it looks really cool. But like when he was in his like ancient Chinese like like demon walking through walls form, I'm like, he looks kind of cool. He I was like, huge too. He was he was really huge. Um, and yeah, the the three storms is that what the, they were called? They're badass. They, they were really great cool. goons. And every time that they popped up, I'm like, okay, this is going to be really fun. Um, the characters like 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 the ragtag group of heroes was like bizarre it was bizarre it was like kind of rushed like i really liked the reporter girl april o'neil yeah <laughs> i don't april know why O'Neil. she was there <laughs> um there was also a like a, another friend um so he had yeah had russell Crowe and um, Russell kurt russell or yeah kurt russell <laughs> and uh his friend and there was a second chinese guy yeah he was uh he came in and, helped, he, he and so came... did victor wong Vic, well, Victor Wong, Victor Wong had something to do, but like he was a magical the, the, guy too. The other Chinese guy was like, "Hey, I'm he... I'm here," and then it's like, "Hey, you stay with the reporter because he." <laughs> it was weird. And, I know, but they the... just
0: fun. They have a lot of funny lines.
1: So they do too. have a lot of funny lines. Um, but it was like, like he introduced this like 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 varied cast, and it's like, nah, no, we just want Victor Wong to show up and. <laughs> I love care of it. I
0: love that when it's just like Kurt Russell's the dumb kid he's saying. He's just like when you're out in the middle of the night you're like what is he right, going out right. about? They don't even make any sense sometimes. But uh, I love Kurt Russell. I mean, I to me he's like one of the most charming actors of all time. And the range he has within the Carpenter movies is pretty pretty interesting. I've never mm-hmm. watched the Elvis movie. I should. But from Escape to New York to The Thing to Big Trouble um, he's escaped from L.A., it's been a long time, but those those three kind of characters that he plays are, are completely different, and, yeah. and tonal, and everything, and Kurt Russell's just, you know, he I grew up watching a lot of Kurt Russell with the thing and Tombstone, and he's just our, I feel like, my generation's John Wayne, even a little older than me, you know, he to a certain in, extent. He uh, was in
1: Tombstone?
0: Yeah, he's Kurt, he's, uh, he's White Earp, he's the main guy. Oh, oh yeah. You know, I don't know who Kurt Russell is. You don't... You're a sick person. I'm not
1: a sick person. You're very I'm sick. perfectly healthy. Uh,
0: <laughs> so, like I said, the, the special effects are fun. I should yeah. mention Al Leone's in here. Um, Stopman, actor, he gets killed by every single action star of the 80s. Um, but, yeah, I just... I don't know what much more to say about it. It has wild special effects. It's over the top. Mm-hmm. And, like, tonally, like, the special effects, you know, I would compare them to something like maybe, like, the weirdness that you would see in Ghostbusters. Or like house, you know, like where the creatures are really over the top
1: and weird, like, and they're kind of goofy in a there, lot of ways, like the the floating eyeball thing. Um, he looked awesome. He looked awesome, but it, it gave me. I was like, like "Is this Dune? Like, am I it, watching Dune? Am I watching Ninja Turtles?" Right. <laughs> like,
0: like, it's so funny the movies that have, like art Ninja Turtles are better Ninja Turtles scenes yes. in them than Ninja Turtles. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I love the movie. Like, I don't think we have that much more to say about it. it it's it's a breakneck speed. It's also good for family. It keep your kids entertained. I think because it's just nonstop,
1: mm-hmm. and it's
0: not too gratuitous or anything. It's PG thirteen. Yeah, I, it's, it's. I think it's pretty friendly. I think that probably got pg-13 because there's probably slight language in it like shit and stuff is, like that is there nudity in it? I no 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 i don't think so no nudity. it's pg-13 it's the same rating as tremors which one do you think is more appropriate for this is probably more appropriate than i think
1: this one's a bit more yeah. appropriate than tremors tremors is just the language but i love tremors. there's the language in tremors and i, I think that tremors is scarier like like the concept <laughs> well, is scarier we
0: watched uh, uh i watched it with my nephew and niece Towards the end when, like, the tremors attacking, uh, while they kind of on the, cha- the chair, like, the couch, and stood up all worried about it because he's still worried about all the characters. I think kept kind of got like, the Space Worm movie. <laughs> I don't know. They're, like, one of the worms. Yeah. No, but uh, a- anyways, I-, I love Big Trouble. I'd give it a 9 out of 10. I'll look through the book. What would you give it?
1: Like a four and a half out of five. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's, it's for it, what it is. a fine movie. Yeah. For what it is,
0: it's five. I mean, there's like not too many movies like it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this is John Stanley's Creature Features, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, three out of five. Ghost Kung Fu, a monster subterranean Chinese city, and a touch of mysticism. Ingredients for a lively fantasy adventure, but director John Carpenter is only partially successful. The main problem is nothing about this martial arts ghost story ever and night ignites the viewer. The best thing is Kurt Russell as a wise cracking truck driver who thinks he's John Wayne. <laughs> I haven't read this before, but I mean, he's swept into a mystery in which a 2,000-year-old demon must marry the heroine in order to turn back into a man. Action, comedy, and light show effects are part of the brew, but it still emerges lightweight. Dennis Dunn and Kim Cattrall. I disagree. I feel like he is the, uh, John Cena is a little against fun to me.
1: Me too. Do you you think he's against fun? No, I'm against fun. That's good. What are we watching next week? <laughs> um when I want to watch another Chinese movie and now and but the problem is is um when I I only just now remembered what we watched last week like just yeah. now this moment um and you ever heard Chinese ghost or I've never seen it there's three of them Chinese, big it, epic movies because when there were a few of them when I was getting into right you, when I selected <laughs> Chinese sex and zen I think was one that you yeah, were I think that's the one I want to watch with you, the horse stick do you have it um, I, I think I do have a copy of it on DVD. If we have it, or or do we want to do Chinese Ghost Story? I don't I, I, have the Blu-rays of Chinese Ghost Story, but I believe I, don't I, I can on rent Blu-ray? them.
0: What's? I mean, they never had a proper release in the states on Blu-ray. There is a, a, a import, but um. We can find them to watch just for mm-hmm. this, and when they get released here, I will purchase them. That's how I operate usually. I, I was wondering if Chinese ghost is in here. Now, like I know they're big movies, I just right. have not seen them. There's there's some other Asian movies. Um, let's. I got some right here that maybe we, you haven't seen. I don't know if I want to do Sex and Zen or. Chinese Did you want to do something sword. more magical? Because this Armor of God movie has Jackie Chan, and it looks like a lot of fun. I've never seen it. Um unquestionably the most popular martial arts actor. I'm trying to find what it's about. Heavily inspired by Spielberg series, the stunt the style. It looks like more like a um a Chinese Indiana Jones type deal.
1: I I'd rather do a more a um, more Chinese rooted one. I don't the oily magic, no. The oily maniac. Um, oily <laughs> maniac. No The greasy strangler. I
0: know. That and the incredible melting man is a trio. <gasps>
1: um I guess between Sex and Zen and Chinese Ghost Story. Chinese Ghost Story. Now Chinese
0: Ghost Story is gonna be a lot more like light. It's not gonna be Sex and Zen's a Cat Three.
1: That's a cat three. That's just gonna be, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of rape. Yeah.
0: Well then let's do Chinese Ghost Story. Okay. Then. It might be an epic. I don't know. It's probably not more than two hours,
1: but it'll be worth it. It's not gonna it'll be worth it's it. It's not gonna be a turd. Like right. I've always wanted to see it. I know it's not it's not horror, but it's more fantasy. Now I remember when I was a kid watching an animated movie, Chinese animated movie called Chinese ghost story. And I, and I wonder, wonder if it's the same story. I wonder if they are. And, um, I wonder if maybe in the future I can try finding that film again and we can compare it. that would be cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. So let's, so let's do a Chinese ghost story. And then, uh, and then next week, the week after we can pick a Another boring movie on your game. Well,
0: I'm actually thinking about doing this, because there's two 1980 movies, okay. and I'm going to have to take a couple off the list, because I can't find subtitles of the list I was going to do. So, these two are not horror, but they're, and they're not even horror-adjacent, but they're both made by my two favorite horror directors from 1980. You weren't even alive in 1980, let alone directing movies, and you wouldn't be my favorite director. Whatever you what directed, mean I wouldn't be your Whatever you directed, director. I wouldn't care about
1: <laughs> So...
0: Um, Night Riders by George Romero. Oh, I do want to see that. And Contraband by Lucio Fulci, the only um, Euro crime movie he did, and one of the last Euro crime movies, and super gory. I remember Night Riders is really good. I've I've heard about Night Riders. but I never. They're watched both it. they're both really good and really different, and both 1980, and they both are definitely interested to someone who likes horror movies. You'd want to watch them. Yeah. Because who directed them?
1: Okay, so next week for sure, Chinese Ghost Story, and then the week after that either Night Night Riders or or contraband on. and then it's sex and zen and then it's the other one then we'll figure something out that's our all whole right. month we're done all right bye
0: okay let's get into these questions answers and comments uh mx dash whatever fucking very bizarre name were you the guy in that movie paying up 2021 yes i was uh directed by justin mills ilk vomit uh martial club has one of the best end fight scenes in kung fu history very good stuff like i mentioned above the camera cool um, Nick Mua, movies are truly magical times so even mishaps can turn out okay to make us, last week I asked your favorite happy accident or last minute change um, turn out okay, so even mishaps can turn out okay or make us laugh think of the shark from Draws, aka Bruce, we hardly ever see him because the puppet never really worked the way it was supposed to It'd be, happy accident for sure and, um, Aragorn's shriek of anguish when he believes his friends are dead was actually Viggo Mortensen breaking his toe when he kicked a steel helmet in steed of a, instead of a rubber one As for last-minute changes, James Duvall being cast as Frank the Bunny and Donnie Darko in place of the standard six-foot-one blonde dude the casting agent wanted. The muscles from Brussels getting swapped out for Kevin Peter Hall, may he rest in peace, in Predator. The home invasion rape scene in Clockwork Orange wasn't working until Kubrick and McDowell decided to add a little song and dance. The rest is history. Uncomfortable as hell to watch, but still. Questions. What would you do if you found the monkey's paw? You know, I've watched enough horror anthologies and stuff like that. Um, maybe I wouldn't touch it at all, but I probably would make the mistakes. I'd wish, you know, for people that died. I wish there would be some changes. I'd wish for money, but I'd give them caveats. I'd I'd fuck up like everybody else at a certain point because I ain't got nothing to lose. Which Day of the Dead remake do you think is the crappiest? Oh boy! So the first one from 2006 or whatever it was. I mean, the Day of the Dead two Contagion, which isn't a remake. It's a unofficial sequel is pretty bad. Um, the day of the dead 2006 or whatever is pretty bad. But then that one from like shot in like Eastern Europe was also trash. Um, but that one probably would have been more tolerable if it wasn't called day of the dead, but these movies just have, they're, they're so lifeless. It's, it's not that they're even just bad. They're lifeless. It's not like they like swung for the fences and just fucked up or, or tried to do something different. They just tried to do basic garbage and put day of the dead's title on it. And they're just not very good. And, and, to be honest. So like um I'll go with the The Day of the Dead two thousand six is the worst one. Just the one that I was most annoyed. I didn't I I might have fell asleep during that one, even though it's probably technically the best one. It's the one that annoyed me the most. Um, is there a George Romero movie you aren't fond of? I don't personally remember loving Diary and Survival. There's moments that are brilliant, and I think if I rewatched them, I'd come around on them. Bruiser, I don't remember loving, Um, but I I only saw it the one time. And uh, there's always Vanilla. It's not horrible. It's just very, eh. You know, it's just not anything that interests me. If George Romero's name was, wasn't on it, I, I most definitely wouldn't care at all about it. Um, It's not horrible, and I, I would watch it just to see kind of George Romero's different a different film. It's more of, you know, a drama romance kind of movie. Give my regards to the Cats and run if you hear Jeepers Creepers on the radio. Um, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Fred Nunez. Make a good double feature with... Uh, he basically says, makes another good double feature with another age-related slasher from the 80s called City and Panic. Great review like always, Dave. 8mm starring Nicolas Cage. That's an underrated film from Joel Schumacher that nobody talks about, and it gets low reviews, but there are fans out there like uh, that like the film. I actually like it... Thought it was good. It could have been much darker if they went with the original script. Um, script. Uh, if if are if was directed with another director, maybe like an underground one, being, but being a Hollywood, I actually liked the film. It had darkness beneath it. I like these snuff film crime dramas anyway. And Nicolas Cage thought he did good. I know Scream Factor realized there's a Blu-ray, and this is a. Kind of hard to read because it has some, you know, uh, just maybe some grammatical errors. Realize a Blu-ray of the film a while back. I would like to see your thoughts and review of this one day. Yeah, yeah, I definitely would revisit 8mm. I saw it, you know, on television or on, on rented tape. And it's one of these movies that uh, it's been a long time. And definitely uh, a movie you really wouldn't see be made in the mainstream, just a storyline alone. Explosive Action, Simon, uh, wait a minute, Dor... Dorado vanished with people's money for the Franco set already paid for. Very disappointing. I remember that. But I I saw somebody mention that maybe if you sent them a message, they could get you something. I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, Jesse Diaz, LA age jabber. What the fuck? Makes a good double feature. Another age-related slasher from 1980s called City in Panic. Great review like always, Dave. I might have actually mixed that up and put that under both. So Ken Coakley's got a lot to say here. Maybe I should read his last. I probably will. Ilk Vomit makes a joke about it. Good Lord, Dave's going to need a bottle of water after he reads that this out loud next week. Yeah. Uzi Suicide 666, that person, oh wait, wait. Falling Down is definitely in my top three movies of all time. Danny Torkel, The Shark Not Working in Jaws is the best happy accident in movie history. Ryan Vincent Logston singing in the rain in A Clockwork Orange A Nice Guy Eddie running over the orange balloon in Reservoir Dogs. James Turner, James, Jim Van Bevers, Manson Family uh, film, I think stands out as a remarkable example of vision not only changing over the years but being limited the budget, being unwilling to give up and uh, utilizing Maximize problems like actors being 10 years older. Um, screwed up because I forgot to hit Seymour. That was probably one of the more interesting responses. I am sorry, I'm an idiot. But he continues. The accident being the film running out of budget and finished over a decade later. Happy Part using the advanced age of the returning actors to add a unique depth to scope. If I didn't make that clear enough, not everyone's seen the film. Yeah, in the Manson family, like he he had the film over years, so he came back and added this element to it about you know how the Manson family kind of affects the modern day and there's people that worship Manson still and it was interesting for sure. You know that, that adds a weird layer to it for sure. Mark Ball, the dude in the subway tunnel and irreversible. It's so funny that the, ha- the the one of the biggest happy accidents is during the most brutal scene of a movie and it just it just it adds that layer to it um did i forget to press c more again why am i so dumb daniel roebuck lafleur though not per film per se just depending on your view on it but i've always loved the history the story of how frank silva a set decorator became bob in twin peaks all because his reflection in the mirror was actually captured on the film dave lynch liked it so much he kept it in there very cool sebastian sanjaro aries michael j fox replacing eric Stoltz after six weeks shooting for six weeks uh kaylee gray vader's part in the end of rogue one Ian Iriza, Fulci adding the zombies to the end of beyond, Harrison Ford getting sick and shooting the swordsman in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, that's great. And so here we go with Ken Coakley. Um, Okay. In Jaws, when Brody tells Quint, you're going to need a bigger boat. After seeing the shark up close for the first time, that was ad-libbed. The producers said in interviews that they regretted greenlining the film so soon after the novel came out because the technology was non-existent at the time. Now, you could probably make a shark movie with an iPhone. Jaws was a series what Bob Ross would call happy accidents. The mechanical shark wasn't working, so you rarely saw the shark. That along with when Hooper and Brody realize the shark is still loose and Hooper says my favorite line, you got a bigger problem than that, Martin. You still have a hell of a fish out there with a mouth about this big. It gives the shark even more of a sense of mythos. The casting was also happy accident. Sterling hating, the godfather, Lee Marvin, the dirty Dozen; and Ben Johnson Wild Bunch were all offered the quint role, while Jeff Bridges, John Voint, Jan Michael vincent were up for Hooper. George Lucas recommended Richard Dreyfus after working with him on American Graffiti. Dreyfus turned it down at first, then approached they approached Charles Grodin, who accepted, but Dreyfus asked him them to hire him after bombing in a movie called The Apprenticeship of Duddy. Kravitz. Linda Harrison, who played Nova in Planet of the Apes, was promised the Mrs. Brody role because she was dating one of the producers. She got replaced by Lorraine Gray because her husband was Sidney Sheinberg, Steven Spielberg's mentor. Mentor. The Brody role almost went to Tony Roberts popcorn, and Spielberg met Roy Schneider at a party. And yet another happy accident was when they shot real shark footage in Australia. A small man was supposed to get in the small cage to give scale the 12-16 foot great shark. They gave the small man a scuba tank meant for for children, but what they didn't know was the small person's respiratory system is still identical to the system of a person of average height, and the small man would run out of oxygen auction very quickly and suffocate. Then they came out with a proper tank, and the sharks arrived before they put the stunt double. The sharks were getting aggressive, and the small man refused to go in. Then one of the sharks got its nose stuck in the brittle, holding the cage, and the shark in panic twisted its body around, trying to break free. It finally did, but it destroyed the cage. The footage was used, and Ho- Hooper, who dies in a book, was supposed to die in the movie, ended up surviving. This wasn't a mistake, but an interesting effect that was used in two films. In Serpico, Al Pacino played a real cop who started as a cop in the mid-60s, so he had short hair and was clean-shaven. At the end of his career, he had long hair and a beard, so Al Pacino grew his hair long and grew a beard. Since movies are shot out of order, they started in the uh, later years first. Then he shaved the beard and kept the handlebar mustache, and he cut his hair short, trimmed the mustache, and shaved the mustache for early years in. Rocky, they shot the last two rounds first while they were full makeup, while they took it a little by little as they shot the rest of the fight backwards, so the first round was shot later. Also during the Gonna Fly Now montage, when Rocky reaches the top of the stairs and does a little dance at the top of the stairs the museum, that was all shot backwards. So there we go. For this week's question of the week... Since we talked about Dr. Lamb, I mentioned, you know, Untold Story. What is your favorite movie based on a true crime? I might have asked that already, but uh, let's do the entire thing. So I know I probably repeat my questions. It's it's not, you can always answer and talk about it in depth as much as you want, and I'll read it on the show, but I might stop with the questions. I mean, I'm getting out of questions, and, you know, a lot of people don't answer, and, you know, it is what it is. So, um, anyways, let's hop into this update. Okay, first up, we have uh, World Going to the World's Fair. I heard mixed things, but mostly positive, and the movie. just sounded so different and uh, unique that I kind of wanted to check it out, to be honest. So, yeah, there we go. Um, Which company released this? Utopia. Which, you know, I've not bought as many Utopia titles as I probably should have, to be honest. Sorry, I'm going to move some light over here, get a little bit brighter. Um, So, yeah, I I think I bought a couple. Maybe maybe not. You know, they released some more contemporary titles, but this one sounded more up my alley. Okay. Next up, we have from Altered Innocence, Jack Be Nimble, which I actually had a, a New Zealand import of this on DVD and I never did watch it. So, yeah, this is one that uh, I, I'm interested in checking out for sure. Very cool. Next up is Tremble All You Want. Is this a fun city? Uh, now let me see what this one is see I'm buying so much stuff I'm getting lost in what everything is oh Connie this is like the Asian one I, I tend to collect these ones because I'm I'm into the strange Asian films for sure so yeah like they uh, I, I'm having trouble keeping up on all these partner labels I'm gonna have to cut back you know I don't wanna but you know how it goes uh, then we have here we have a Picarama, Roller Babies Carter Stevens In the not-too-distant future, she will be illegal. But there will be roller babies. What the fuck? And a Mount of Venus. So I don't know if there's going to be any nudity on the front. You know, we're okay. So another Picarama here from Vinegar Syndrome. No longer in the yearly subscriptions. Um, That's cool. Uh, Then we have Heartbreakers. Uh, This is a fun city. Sorry, I'm just a little gap in between here. Raw Nerve from Culture Shock. This is 1991 Flick, if I'm not mistaken. 91, that's right. This looks super bizarre. (laughs) Tex Cobb's in here. Glenn Ford, Tracy Learns, Ted Pryor, Jan Michael Vincent. That sounds like a lot of fun. So, yeah, Raw Nerve. Culture Shock has some pretty cool titles, pretty cool company. Next up, Ravage. Same director of Sinister. Uh, this is a Saturn's Core, of course. Uh, put a lot of the SOV crazy movies out. Very cool. This was originally put out on DVD by um, SRS, Sub Rosa Studios. Um, let me... I put these in a bad. Place, so it's like I'm reaching around. Uh Satan's Children. This is the Eggfa. Devil worshiping has changed them into Satan's Children. Er, introducing Stephen White as Bobby Douglas. So uh yeah. Another Eggfa. Cool stuff. Number 42 on the spine there. They're getting up there, man. I think I'm missing only a few of them. But oh okay next up is uh how do you say this uh lex uh, eternal this is a Gaspar noe movie gotta buy Gaspar noe's movies thank god i am an atheist who is that Benwell. um i think that's because troy Haworth said that fulci uh, quoted that said i wish i could be like that you got a nice booklet in here um looks pretty intense I believe it is a 4K. This is Yellow Veil pictures. Um, Yellow Veil is a good company for sure. This is just a Blu-ray. Sorry about that. So yeah, uh, cool. Nice hard box and everything like that. Next up, we have Kiss Me Monster and Two Undercover Angels. Uh, Jess Franco double feature. Franco's been getting a lot of love on disc lately very cool, though. Franco's directed 100 frickin' movies... 100! You do that as an exaggeration, you realize you're like 400 short. Franco's the only director you could exaggerate his numbers and still be wrong, and still be short. Uh, Next up is uh, Vinegar Syndrome Archive, Cyber Vengeance. um, Number 25 on the releases, so... nice features on there this one i don't know too much about i did collect the um robert davi's in there as a bad guy of course um debbie Rashawn, maybe he's not the bad guy so um not sure i don't know too much about this it looks like one of you know those 90s kind of action sci-fi flicks that were all over the video store as a kid shriek of the mutilated um this one kind of has a name recognition i think a lot of people have heard of this one uh, bigfoot flick I believe maybe um, is this the one that's supposed to is a Bigfoot and then it's not a bigfoot or something like that there's a couple of them out there what year was this one 1974 so I've actually never seen streak of the mutilated um, I haven't watched that many Bigfoot mo- horror movies um, unfortunately I've seen a handful and then we have writing uh, writing wrongs um, yeah Cynthia rock uh, Cynthia, Cynthia Rothrock um, oh, big deluxe case here is a VSA vs 400. Boom, there we go. We got a nice book in here. Pretty cool. Slip cover. There we go. That's the end of the update. I don't know if I'll have too much more coming in Uh, as of late. You know, I got to save up for Cinema Wasteland and everything like that. And, you know, it's just... You got to save money sometimes, you know. Life is short. Can't afford to buy everything. Anyways, we're going to hop back to that video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Me.